Podcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome to Fordin Vegas, a true crime podcast with two friends who hate each other. I'm Ford, and I'm joined by my dearest, dearest, close personal friend, who I hate, Vegas. Yeah, yeah, we're back. I'm back, unfortunately. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Do you wish this was like a memorial show for for you because you died? Is that what you're saying? No, no. I wish it was a memorial show for you. Oh, because I died. Because I would be happy then. Understood. But but I'm here, so I'm not very happy that I'm here. Will you speak at my my funeral? Will you speak glowingly of me at the end? Oh, well, well, I mean, when you said, will I be there? Yes, I will be there. But then when you add the glowingly. Uh, speak about you glowingly. Then I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not not going to happen." That. All right, let's but, get. Right but you'll be that. dead. You'll be dead, so you won't know. True, true. I won't even know if you're not there, really. No. So uh, let's get into it. We got a lot to talk about. Maybe even a lot to fight about because Vegas's past comments of stupidity have now come back to haunt him. No, and we will discuss. But first, seven people. Dead at an Oklahoma property, all found with gunshot wounds to the dome. Let's talk about it. A convicted rapist on trial on child pornography charges is believed to have fatally shot six people, five of them teenagers, before he died by suicide at the rural Oklahoma property where the kids were having a sleepover last weekend. Now, digest that. These innocent kids having a sleepover. Imagine being the parents. All of the victims shot in the head, said Joe Prentice, a Okmulji police chief. Definitely, probably, most likely pronounced that wrong. <laughs> a spokesman for the Violent Crime Task Force overseeing the investigation into the killings outside the small town of Henrietta. The suspect is Jesse McFadden, 39 years old, also died of a gunshot wound to the head. Prentice identified the victims as a 14-year-old Ivy Webster, 15-year-old Brittany Brewer, Michael Mayo, who was also 15, Tiffany Guess, who was 13, Riley Allen, who was 17, and Holly McFadden, who was 35. Holly McFadden's mother, Jeanette Mayo, identified her daughter Tuesday as Holly Guess. She married Jesse McFadden last year. Their bodies were found in two groups on the large property where the McFaddens rented a home. One group that included Ivy, Brittany, and Riley was found about a quarter mile from the home. The bodies 
roughly 100 to 150 yards apart in a scene that Prentice described as staged. He did not care to elaborate. That's kind of inferring Vegas that the bodies were dragged there and laid out looking like some kind of staged event, maybe. That's what I would infer from that. The four others were found in a heavily wooded part of the land. Possible motive remained unclear. Clearly, part of the motive is mental instability. Part of the problem when the community suffers something like this is that everybody wants to understand why. Normal people can't understand why. People that perpetrate crimes like this are evil. Vegas, we talk about that. We talk about we've talked about that on this show. Kind of the psyche. And how could you do that? How could this be done? How could that be done? And we try to understand it. But it is truly something that if you are normal, as normal as you and I are, me more so than you, you just can't wrap your head around doing something so heinous. No, not not with kids. I mean, the dude's obviously mental because he is on trial for child pornography. Uh, Why did he help? Well, that's that's the question I would ask. But I guess if it's just child pornography, not like child rape or anything like that, I guess you can get out on bail. So here's more on Jesse McFadden. He served 17 years in prison. For first-degree rape in 2017, while behind bars, he was accused of sending sexually explicit photos to a 16-year-old and acting in a manner that prosecutors described in court documents as, quote, manipulative and controlling of the victim, end quote. Jesse McFadden was charged with child pornography and soliciting sexual conduct slash communication with a minor. A jury trial had been scheduled for Monday, the day the bodies were found, after the parents of Ivy and Brittany reported them missing. McFadden's lawyer has been quiet, radio silent, and has not responded to requests for comment. Court docs show that uh, McFadden planned to argue that he was in touch not with the 16-year-old, but with her friend, who was 21. Brittany Brewer's father, Nathan Brewer, said Jesse McFadden never should have been released released from prison after he was charged in 2017. Officials should be held liable for their deaths. A spokeswoman for the Oklahoma Corrections Department said in a statement that state law requires inmates to serve 85% of their sentences for McFadden That was 17 years. For most of his time behind bars, the spokeswoman said McFadden had an inmate classification level in line with outstanding evaluations for work, education, and other criteria. When he reached a few months short of 17 years, a term that included time served in a county jail, he was released. Registered sex offenders are allowed to live with children as long as they don't commit crimes against them which is kind of weird. A little bit. Isn't that why he's a sex offender in the first place? Yes. For for committing crimes against 
children? Yep. I understand it's not the same child. What are the odds that he's going to be living with the same child that he committed the crimes against after a, uh, a prison sentence? What are the odds? <laughs> well, what well, I don't, what I don't know about this is how he served 17 years, but he's a cute. First of all, how does he get a cell phone in prison? Because he's texting an underage girl, first of all. So how does he get the cell phone? How does he get the underage girl's number to text her? That's I don't understand that. But he's accused of it while he's still in prison. So you're like, oh, okay, well, you were convicted of rape. Uh, you know, you're a sex offender. But, you know, it's fine. You were accused of this in prison, but we'll let you out anyway. Makes no sense to me. Registered sex offenders are allowed to live with children as long as they don't commit crimes against them, which is just. That's a statement. That's a quote. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you read that, and I, I'm like, am I living in the twilight zone? Registered sex offenders are allowed to live with children as long as they don't commit crimes against them. Well, that goes for anything, and that goes for everybody. Of course I'm allowed to live with somebody if I don't commit crimes against them. Yeah. But why would a sex offender be allowed to live with children? I mean, that that would be like, uh, you know, a convicted felon, uh, you know, that shot somebody is able to own a gun <laughs> legally, yeah. but as long as he doesn't use it. Yes. Well, why would you need a gun if you're not good, if you're going to not use it? You don't need a gun if you're not going to use it. Yeah, makes no sense. This just doesn't. So McFadden followed sex offender registry rules, checking in with the sheriff's office every 90 days. Aside from McFadden's conviction and the 2017 charges, Prentice said he knew of no other warning signs. The teen's parents have said that they didn't know about McFadden's criminal history or that he was a registered sex offender, which I feel like should be some information that you would have to disclose. Yes, you would think if he's hanging around with other kids or parents. Or you anything. should have to be held responsible, which obviously the guy's dead now, right? So he doesn't yeah. have to be held responsible. But this is a problem. Now, I would be remiss if I would say, if I didn't say, that maybe there's a, a little, uh, how should I say this? The parents of the victims need to take a, a, a little responsibility. But then again, at the same time, the other side of the argument is most people don't look up their friend's parents and see if they're registered sex offenders. True. They don't. They don't. So it isn't something that you do. But if you are a registered sex offender, A, you should not be allowed to live with children. And B, it's probably something that you should disclose. Yeah. 
in interviews, they described the sleepover last weekend as routine and said nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Nathan Brewer said Jesse McFadden seemed like a nice, normal person. Holly McFadden's mother has also said that her daughter didn't know the truth about Jesse McFadden and that he fooled her with his charm. Well, in, in 1970, yes, you could get away with fooling someone with your charm. But, like, I mean, again, not everybody checks up on their boyfriend and or girlfriend and does background checks. But, there are you know. That allow you to do that. Well, exactly. There are websites that are allow you to do that. And in this day and age, if his name hasn't changed, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm well, sure most people changes, have Googled somebody. His name, the social security number doesn't change. Well, true. That's if she knew his social security yeah. number. I mean, not every wow. boyfriend, girlfriend knows each other's social security numbers. No, but I, I, I'm willing to bet that. If we saw what Jesse McFadden looked like, let me look him up here. Something tells me he might look like somebody who may have committed a crime or two. <laughs> let me I mean, prob- probably, yes. Let me look him up a little bit here. Hold on. I'm doing this live as we are uh, recording. Oh, there he is. Oh. And I'm going to, um, I will put his picture up for everybody. To see it, but Jesse McFadden looks like he might be a little bit of a But I mean, it, I, I don't put any blame necessarily on the other kids' parents because, again, you don't. No, you, you really are, can't. I know somebody out there is going to, but you really can't. You can't because you know, uh, you assume that if there is a sex offender or something, that they have to disclose it or do something. Uh, that that tells you that, and but apparently in Oklahoma, the law states that if you are a sex a child sex offender, you are on the registry. You are able to live with children as long as you don't commit any crimes against them. Well, yeah, no shit. Like I'm allowed to live uh, with anybody I want as long as I don't murder them or try to murder them because of, or beat the crap out of them. It's like it would be the same thing as if some. Uh, you know, person is beating the crap out of his wife or, or you know, a husband and saying uh, and beating the crap out of him constantly and getting a restraining order. Well, no, it's it's OK for them to live together again as long as he doesn't beat the crap out of her. OK, well, he's done it already. You, most of the time they're going to do it again. Yeah, they're called repeat offenders. Yeah. And most people are repeat offenders, especially in child six uh, acts. Uh, you know, if you will. The mother of Holly McFadden. So that would mean that this this chick married this guy. Yeah, that's what he said. She married him. Yeah. And doesn't know about that past? I guess not. I mean, can we do a little due diligence here? My God, by God. Come on. Yeah, but did you did you do any due diligence before you married your wife? No. And obviously, she well, didn't do I any. Talking about me. Well, obviously, she didn't do any due diligence marrying your sorry ass. But uh, exactly. But you know what? She should have. As sorry as my ass might be, 
I have never served jail time and I'm not a registered sex offender. Well, true. But how do you, you're never going to know the person's a sex offender. I mean, it doesn't just, you just don't walk down the street and they have a a, a sign above them saying sex offender. I mean, they probably should, but they don't. We could, we might be able to run for office and win with that. (laughs) Yeah. They have a break. They have a, they have something on their arm, like a tattoo on their arm. Scarlet letter. Yeah, says they're a sex offender. So here's the, the the last line here from Holly McFadden's mother, Jeanette Mayo. She wrote on Facebook, because Facebook's only for, for old people. She wrote on Facebook, now she and my grandbabies are dead. Stop bashing her. So there is clearly some internet people that think that maybe, maybe Holly should have done a little due diligence. Well, it it comes down to not just due diligence, like if you just meet them and you date them or whatever, but were there signs? You know, were there signs that he was, uh, you know, not all there? That's the real question, is if he, you know, experienced uh, mental illness uh, when he was with her and she just kind of shook it off and didn't do anything. But, it, yeah. but also from what you say, the trial was supposed to begin soon for him texting the 16 year old girl. Correct. The day that, yeah, the day that it all went. Yeah. Down. Yeah. So obviously he was accused of this while he was still in prison. So she was been with him over a year or so and married him. So obviously she knew he was in prison. Right. Yeah. So yep. she knew he's a convicted felon, regardless of his crimes. So that, again, like we've said, usually you don't Google your ex or your not your ex, but your girlfriend or boyfriend. But if they've spent time in prison, you probably really should know why. Or at least if they tell you why, you should check up to see if they're telling you the truth. So, yes, I would I could see bashing her, not bashing her, but saying she probably should have done a little bit uh, more due diligence in that or not been with him or subject him to children. That's probably the most thing. And then he kills them all because you can't just kill yourself. You have to kill your wife and your, you know, kid and whoever else. A uh, from Oklahoma to North Kakalaki, a police officer shot and killed his wife before turning the gun on himself, state authority said on Wednesday. Uh, the Fayetteville police officers responded to the home of fellow officer Domingo Tavares Rodriguez when he didn't report to work at 6 p.m. When he failed to report and his supervisors were unable to contact him by phone, no, kind of hard when he's dead. That's what prompted them to go by and check on him at his residence. Responding officers found Tavares Rodriguez, 53, and his wife, Yanitza Arroyo Torres, 44, both dead with gunshot wounds inside the home in the River Glen subdivision. Braden said he requested the North Kankalaki State Bureau of Investigation to investigate their deaths as the incident involved the Fayetteville officer. The preliminary investigation shows the couple died as a result of a murder-suicide. With the State Bureau of Investigation said in a statement, the preliminary autopsy report 
when a medical examiner's office shows that the officer died from a single gunshot wound and his wife died as a result of multiple gunshot wounds. So that tells you right there who killed who. Based on the preliminary investigation and the medical examiner's preliminary findings, there's no reason to believe that anyone else was involved, and there is no reason to believe that there is a threat to the community or to law enforcement. No further information is being released. Tavares Rodriguez had been in the department since June of 2021 and was a military veteran. So I brought this story up here to maybe have a little bit of a conversation. I know that I've had this conversation on the show without you here when I was just talking to myself. And America, the media specifically, whenever there is a mass shooting, a public mass shooting, it is obviously, for obvious reasons, headlines, right? But the real problem in America, and the numbers back this up, the real problem in America is not a public mass shooting, which, yes, happened more than it should. I understand that. But the real problem in this country is the murder that happens inside of the home, the family side, which is oftentimes, I think, a family, a family side is more, uh, is uh, three, it's either four or more, including the gunman, or three or more, including the gunman. This obviously is not the case. This is just a, a basic murder-suicide. But family members killing family members is a bigger problem than the public mass shooting. Because a lot of the times, the public mass shooting is because the shooter is going after an ex-lover in public, like the one in Texas that was considered to be the highest, the biggest mass shooting in Texas history. When that guy shot up that church or wherever it was, he went to that church because he knew that's where his ex-wife was with her family. So his ex-in-laws. So Vegas... Agree or disagree that we have a family-killing family member problem before we have a mass shooting problem. I get we have a mass shooting problem. I shouldn't say it like that. But I think the focus needs to start in the family. I mean, well, it definitely has a start in the family. Um, you know, just like you know, everybody says, you know, wars are bad, wars are this. Every war that has ever started is based on religion. So you could say that there is a problem with religion in the world, that for some reason we all believe supposedly in the same uh, sort of thing, but we all can't, you know, it, it, if you believe in something different, it's terrible. But it, in the home, it there are a lot of, of shootings that probably nobody knows about. Every day, you probably in your in your town or your surrounding area probably have something similar to this you know the only mass shootings though that we do hear about 
you know, most of the time are school shootings. Um, and, and those are, and everybody looks at those and say, those are the biggest problem. And yes, they are a problem, obviously, because you shouldn't have somebody, uh, going to a school or a shopping mall or wherever, but most of the time it's an at home issue. You know, if, if family was, if the family was better, uh, you know, at these things or all of these could be preventable. At least 95% of them. So I, I don't understand why people don't understand. So this is from the USA Today. And this article came out in August of 2022. And this is the number of mass killings per year. So this gentleman... His last name is Fox. Let me see what this guy's first name was again here. I was not I was not thinking that I was going to go here, but I'm here right now. Oh, but you're uh, there. James Allen Fox is a professor a professor of criminology, law and, and public policy at Northeastern University in Boston. So he's far more qualified than you or I or anybody even listening to this podcast or watching this podcast on YouTube can can talk about this subject. He's more qualified. Cases in which someone shoots strangers in a public place usually get the most attention. But fatal public shootings are a small fraction of all mass killings. There has been a spike in these types of killings over the past few years, yes, but the rate of occurrence has remained relatively flat since the mid-2000s. Now, watch David Muir the night of a mass shooting and tell me that's the story that they're trying to tell you. Now, he goes on to say, a guy, which is the story that we just talked about, a guy who kills his wife and children and then sometimes then kills himself is the most common type of mass killing. Mass killings take place far more often in private homes than in schools, supermarkets, or churches. Let that sink in. That's where the problem is. A number of mass killings by location type. 381 at a residence or other shelter. The next one in line, commercial, real estate, uh, com- sorry, commercial, retail, or entertainment, 57. That's the second highest. 381. Second, 57. Open space, 35. Multiple locations, 29. Vehicle, 16. A school or a college, 13. A government or transit, 10. Houses of worship, 7. Medical facility, 2. Victims of mass mass shootings are more likely to have been killed by someone they know. Mass shootings in which family members or intimate partners are targeted are twice as common as public 
as fatal public mass shootings in which strangers are killed. So you are more likely to be killed by someone you know than by someone you don't know at a grocery store. Think about that. In our database, the public category excludes killings related to drug deals, gang disputes, robberies, and other criminal activity, which are instead classified as being related to a felony or suspected felony, depending on the circumstance. On average, our data shows that five people die in a mass killing of any kind compared with seven in a fatal public mass shooting. Though these public killings result in more per-incident deaths, other types of mass killings happen more frequently and result in more victim fatalities and injuries overall. The number of mass killing victims by relationship to their killer, 741 were acquaintance. 781 were family. Stranger, 726. Unknown, 572. First responder, 41. Yeah. Again, to reiterate, you are more likely to die by being shot by someone you know than by someone you don't know. That is the problem. That is where the problem starts. That it's not school shootings. I, and I get it. Kids are more likely to die by being shot by any other way. I, I understand that is also a problem. But it's a problem that doesn't happen as frequently as families killing families. Well, that's because the, those don't get ratings. Those don't. Those aren't. Uh, you know, when when they pull up the the statistics of oh, there's been 899 mass shootings in this country this year in four months. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, but when you break it down, school shootings are probably minuscule compared to, uh, you know, the gang. Because, again, when they show that they don't consider the gang shooting uh, and warfare that goes on and drug deals gone bad and stuff like that is uh, any differently than a school shooting. You have to do that. The fact um, of the matter is... this was And this was also updated May 4th, by the way. So today. Yeah. May 3rd. Sorry. Was oh, so yesterday. Yeah. No, I lied again. It was May 4th. Actually, was updated at eleven fifty nine a.m. We an hour ago that we yeah. right now as we record this podcast, it is twelve fifty nine p.m. This was updated one hour ago. Yeah, so the most up to date information there. It's but again, you're not going to hear that though. You're going to hear this. The, obviously, the the bigger ones, the school shootings, uh, the church shooting stuff like that. That's what you're going to hear about. And this has. The Lake Wales, Florida, four victims, family type, residents, other shelter. The April 30th, Mojave, California one, four victims, suspected felony, residents. The Henrietta, which we talked about earlier, the Oklahoma one, family, residents. 
Cleveland, Texas, five victims type other happened residents. I will post this link. And it's, apparently this is going to be a link that USA Today is going to update. So I'm going to keep this link open, but I will post this link in the description of this show so you can go and you can see the numbers yourself and you know that Ford's not making it up. Yeah, you wouldn't make it up anyway. Um, and speaking of family killers, Alex Murdoch has admitted that he invented the story about the dogs causing the death of the former housekeeper. And we've talked about this former housekeeper when we were covering the Alex Murdoch trial. And Vegas, you were uh, pretty adamant that uh, you didn't think he had any role to do with the death of the housekeeper. And maybe she did trip on the dogs and fall down the concrete steps. Maybe that did. Maybe she did die that way as much as uh, uh, other circumstances and other events would tell you, man, I don't know. It has come out through the lawyers that that story was made up. No dogs were involved in the fall of Gloria Satterfield on February 2, 2018. The documents from the Monday's filing from Murdoch's own attorneys in federal court read, after Miss Satterfield's death, defendant Alex Murdoch invented Miss Satterfield's perpetrated statement that the dogs caused her to fall to force his insurers to make a settlement payment that he stated that she was not on the property to perform work. Of course, that would be money that he pocketed for his own financial gain. The Monday filing was a response from Murdoch's lawyers to a 2022 complaint filed against Murdoch by the uh, Nautilus Insurance Company. The complaint alleges Murdoch lied about the circumstances surrounding Satterfield's death in order to get a fraudulent insurance settlement. On September 15, 2021, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division announced that it was opening an investigation into Satterfield's mysterious death. Satterfield's sons also filed a civil lawsuit against Murdoch and others at around this time, claiming that they never received an insurance payout concerning their mother's death. According to the order approving settlement previously reviewed uh, and filed in 2019 in the Hampton Courtroom of Common Pleas, the sons were supposed to receive $2.765 million of a $4.3 million settlement. They received squadosh, not a zilch, nothing. Three months prior to the civil lawsuit on June 7, 2021, Murdoch's wife, Maggie and son Paul, as you know, were shot to death. And as you know, Alex Murdoch did it. And as you know, he is doing uh, two life sentences back to back. Jack will never see the light of day again. And Vegas, with this story, with him admitting to fabricating how she died, we can safely say that Alex Murdoch killed or played a role in the death of Gloria Satterfield. Yes or no? No. Ah, of course no, not. No, no, no. You can't. 
you can say that he made up the dog. Common sense, Vegas. For what <laughs> in your life you some common sense? But he, you, he did not admit to killing her. Now somebody else may have killed her, and he may know who that person is. But he did not necessarily kill her. Folks, Just because he made this up to get the payment to get the insurance payment and to steal the insurance money, yes. The but listeners just, of this podcast are smart enough to know that where there's smoke, there's fire. But for Vegas, where there's smoke, well, there there might be a fire, but there also could just be a little overheating. Yes, correct. He did not admit that he killed her. If he would have came out and said, you know what, I killed her, then. Do we want to kill him, folks? No. Nobody, wants, nobody wants to kill me. I can't wait. What do we got? June. I got it on the big whiteboard back there. June 26 is when the Caitlin Armstrong stuff starts. And boy, if you think Vegas is ridiculous now, wait until you hear him defend his girl, Caitlin Armstrong. Listen, later. I'm not. No, it's innocent until proven guilty. Yes, of course. Murdoch was was proven guilty uh, that he killed his wife and his son, and he may have tried to cover up the. Uh, you know, boating death. Okay, before that, but does not mean he killed the housekeeper. All right, it does, but that, no, no, it doesn't. Fine. No, it doesn't. Common sense would tell you that he did, right? He no, played he, a role in it. I don't know if he played a role in it, but he didn't kill her necessarily. Did common sense tell you he played a role. I knew we were going to fight about this one. I knew we were going to fight about. I this. mean, you could say that maybe he knows who did it, or maybe he, you know, maybe it was his son. Papa, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You dropped the papa. I love it. Yeah, I don't know, but we can infer that, uh, you know, he did take the money and we can infer that he made it up because he admitted he made the story up, but that does not mean he killed her. Law, uh, La- uh, Las Vegas investigators are optimistic they'll be able to determine the identity of a homicide victim whose body was discovered inside of a barrel last May. I just want to update everyone because we covered this story last year. One of the most important things in the un- uh, ultimately is that we solve our investigations. If there is a way for us to forensically solve the investigation using the DNA lab, we will do it. We have a 90% solve rate for a reason. Las Vegas Metro Lieutenant Jason Johansson said in a Secrets of the Lake special that is airing on May 4 uh, on uh, maybe 2020 there. Yeah, 2020 has got a, something on the barrel this uh, Friday, tomorrow, or tonight, actually. Today's May 4. The body was later determined to be that of a man who died of a gunshot wound around 40 to 50 years ago. The remains are still being tested for DNA in a process that could take a year or more, in part due to backlog of cases. There's a lot of death that we need to uh, investigate with DNA. Previously submerged deep underwater in the floor of Lake Mead. Thank God the environment and global warming there is no more lake mead basically and the barrel was exposed as water levels plummeted to historic lows due to prolonged droughts boaters made the gruesome discovery on may 1 2022 we covered it right here on the show vegas we will continue to cover it but i just wanted to give you guys an update that uh it is still an ongoing investigation and we have not forgotten about it and that will come out as a mob hit i'm sure oh i i i hope so I hope it was a mob hit just because I love a good old fashioned mob hit. And we like to end this show 
with a solved cold case because, by God, after uh, 39 minutes of just death, death, and more death, we like to talk about something that's a little happy uh, surrounding death, and that is a case that gets solved. And this is uh, three decades without answers. Police identified the suspect in the murder of 19-year-old Kathy Swartz through extensive and an extensive investigation. It was found that Swartz put up a valiant fight against her attacker on December 2, 1988, according to the Three Rivers Police Department on Monday. Swartz uh, died of multiple stab wounds, a vicious beating, and strangulation, all while her nine-month-old daughter, Courtney, was in the next room. Michigan State Police, because that's right, Three Rivers is not Pittsburgh. Uh, Michigan State Police crime scene technicians found fingerprints, blood, and a footprint at the crime scene, according to the department. Officers also interviewed thousands of people, as well as collected fingerprints and footprints, but did not find a match. By the 2000s, DNA technology allowed officers to enter DNA profile into CODIS, a combined DNA index system, but years continued to go by without a match. In 2022, Three Rivers Police Department and Michigan State Police utilized forensic genetic genealogy, which narrowed the suspect pool to a single family. Forensic genealogy isolated it to four people. When we get to that point, then it's up to us to get additional samples from individuals that have been identified to determine that uh, if that person is, in fact, a contributor to that DNA. Christensen said that all four suspects were all brothers. There was an idea in the investigators' minds of who would likely the suspect would have been based on the history of each brother. You can kind of tell, right? After interviews, fingerprinting, and more DNA testing, officers said they have identified the suspect as 53-year-old Robert Walters. And there's his picture right there. There he is. Robert Walters officers traveled to South Carolina to interview Waters and gathered enough probable cause to arrest him for open murder, according to the department. I think we had an idea at some point police would arrive and want to talk to him, and it's hard to say what would have been going through your mind after 35 years. Waters was taken into custody Sunday in Beaufort, South Kakalaki, according to the St. Joseph County Office for the uh, prosecuting attorney. Under Sheriff Jason Bigaman is working on arraignments to transfer Waters back to the county, according to the prosecuting office. At this point, Vegas, he's got to be thinking, he's probably not even thinking about this crime that he committed 35 years ago. Probably not. He's probably living his life, enjoying the sweet tea down in South Kakalaki. He don't even care. And the cops come knocking on his door one day. And I bet you, I bet you when they open the door, he's like, shit. Yeah. Because that's the time. At that time, he knows. Yeah. Yep. He knows the jig is up and he's going to go to prison. Or he could have been a complete jag off. And when he answered the door, he could have said, well, it's about fucking time. Wow. Yeah. He could have said that. Yes. But then that would admit guilt. So it's again. Innocent until proven guilty. Now, DNA don't lie, uh, even though some people think it does. Uh, DNA does not lie. So once they get his DNA, which they probably already have it, uh, he will eventually be convicted, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that you are correct. All right.
if you're watching on YouTube or if you're watching on Spotify or if you're listening wherever you get your podcasts, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. This show is ad-free for just $3 a month. Patreon.com forward slash Ford in Vegas. You could follow the show on Twitter at Ford and Vegas. And if you want to buy a Ford and Vegas shirt, you could do so at shopfordandvegas.com. Always recommend premium soft quality, as well as we are a proud member of the Darkcast Network, the best indie true crime podcast network on God's green earth. For uh, Vegas, I'm Ford. We'll see you guys next time right here on Ford in Vegas, a true crime podcast with two friends who hate each other. Vegas, any last words? Go to hell. Thank you.